And I grew up in an environment that didn't give me that message. I, gave, I grew up in an environment that gave me the opposite message, which is like, no, there is a right way. And this is the way you do it. My dad and I went into town. We lived about 10 minutes out of town. Went into town, pulled up across the street from the old bar and Eddie's barber shop. Mm. And he walked in. Um, I remember just watching him walk across the street. He walked in, bought something in a brown bag, came back out, some bottle in a brown bag, set it on the seat between us in the truck, and then just started driving back to this guy's place. And finally, I looked at him like, well, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Why I'm bringing it up and asking those questions is because I, I just want to understand. And it, sure. it gives me a, a new perspective on a huge community. That was probably my first facet of life as we're talking about this, to go from being that have the right answer or don't raise your hand mm-hmm. to you're never gonna learn this language if you don't mess it up. Yep. If you're not willing to fuck it up, you're probably not gonna learn, or at least it's gonna be way, way, way slower. And I didn't have time, I had to get out there. So that's where it kind of started to break the mold for me. And like, I have to make mistakes as part of the learning, but here again, I don't wanna destroy relationships. So that's the the double-edged sword. So using that with the communication skills that we've kind of been working on, that person next to you or across the table from you will let you know how you're doing. Just body language, reaction, tone of voice, how they're responding, how they're feeling. That's all information. It is. So, It is. And just looking at my my own relationship with my own wife, I, I remember coming back from, from the training too. And it was because my, my wife has a psychological degree and, <laughs> and she is so smart and, uh, and she kind of gets things uh, even though without analyzing she knows what people are about and she mm-hmm. and on top of that she knows me so well yeah uh, i think we both are people who know each other the best in this this world so um i was afraid actually to to use the skills with her because i know she she's gonna grab it straight away i know what you're doing and yeah. i know that i remember um, I remember one of our first conversations when I started using the skills. I, I told her, coming that I will, I wanna try to work on our communication, and I'm gonna be using the skills that I have been taught, not to manipulate you, but to understand you better and to listen to you better, and, and not to be, not to give you solutions what i'm usually about mm-hmm. uh giving solutions but listening really deeply deeply listening and in the same time sharing how i feel that's smart of you to communicate that to your partner did you come up with that on your own because that's the mistake i made i didn't communicate that and say hey i want to do this so i can hear you understand you be more empathetic to where you're coming from really know where you're at with this do you mind walking beside me or being patient with me as I do this? Because you deserve better from me. And it sounds like you laid that out a little bit more ahead of time or somewhere along that process than I did. It took me a while to get there. I was like, why are you doing this? What's going on? Why are you making this so hard? Can't you see that this is for your benefit as well? Mm-hmm. I went a little bit of victim mindset on that. So It is... It is hard, like it is, 
also like you're almost stripping everything out of yourself and like yeah. almost standing naked in front of that person being vulnerable in yeah. front of them right yeah. it's uh, that's what it is you are giving the whole thing like i'm not here to manipulate you i'm giving you what it is what i'm planning to do and uh, come on for a ride please because i want to be better i want to be better in well this. and that's the key to the whole thing is originally what i thought was a negotiating book and you know he referenced chris will reference our former president donald trump and his negotiating style he may consider himself a great negotiator but does he have anybody left who's willing to do a second deal with him or do yeah. another follow-up deal or did you destroy all the people around you in the process along the way yeah. and realizing that this is good for both parties this needs to be good for both parties and a negotiation is not an adversarial relationship i think sometimes in business we can get stuck in that especially the assertives mm. because we're going to win we're going to get out ahead of it we're going to this we, we're going to that yeah we are too competitive yeah we, we create our own problems by being that way yeah. and we don't slow down and realize the other side has interests as well that might serve our benefit yeah. if we could slow down and hear them so in our marriages hey is this for the good of the marriage or is this for good for one party or the other one's phenomenal and one's problematic yeah so once i think once people realize no i want what's best for us and if it's not good for you it's not good for us therefore it's not good for me that's probably a good place to start which sounds like you did yeah it it, it is a process but it is as you say uh it is that root to for us to make it work together it's yeah. for me to be understood and for me to be able to speak out for you to do the same thing yeah. but for us to build that space together where we can both share what we want to share but still feel understood and that we are moving this relationship forward yeah. instead of being stuck somewhere right yeah 100% on uh I think we dug pretty deep on the <laughs> black swan method and all the dynamics and definitely we can uh, we can recommend that to anyone who want to deal 100%. both. 100%. All you got to be is human to, to benefit from that. Yes, that's for sure. That's for sure. And uh, you don't need to have preconceived notions that it is only business yeah. related or, or work or professional life. It can really benefit you on the personal level as well yeah and we are both uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we can both attest to it um, Meru let's jump into the real estate part tell me about it real estate that's a pretty big topic I think it's the biggest industry in the world so true when you say real estate you mean my corner of the world yes. your real estate that's my real I mean. estate so I Oh, geez, I don't even know for sure how I got into real estate. I So walking back to the beginning of our conversation, growing up, small town Wyoming, super LDS culture. I had a couple choices coming out of high school. I got a partial scholarship to go to BYU. Part of my room and board and books was paid. Mm -hmm. Or I got tuition. Well, I guess partial tuition at BYU. Anyway, it doesn't really matter but then full tuition at Wyoming, the University of Wyoming in the home state where I had grown up. Yeah. A lot of my friends had gone there, my sisters were going there. I had that little bit of a rebel attitude. I, you know, sometimes some of the BYU students can be just a little bit 
kind of that same we're right everybody else is wrong and that did start to grind on me a little mm. bit so i chose to go to the university of wyoming one of the my one of my best decisions just because it kind of reaffirmed a little bit of that maverick kind of mm. mentality um we had a really good basketball team that year we were in the conference doing well but they had also gone further i think they'd made it to the sweet 16 the year before they so, so the context of this, of going over to the University of Wyoming for a year before going out and serving my LDS mission in South America was to just, my whole life was, what are you going to do when you grow up? Well, I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to go to a year of college and then I'm going to serve an LDS mission. This path was laid out for me mm. probably before I could walk and talk. So up to the age of 21, my life was basically planned. And I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's kids who do, you know, military service. There are kids who will go away to school, boarding school. Lots of people go through this where the parents kind of lay out your track. That's right. And that had happened to me. So that first year of college, I felt like I was in a little bit no man's land. I remember getting to campus first day of class. I didn't have a schedule. I didn't have a major. I didn't have a college. I was just at college because I'd always said... I had to go wander around and find somebody, a counselor who would sit down with me, and it just happened to be in the College of Agriculture. Mm. So I ended up taking agricultural economics, agricultural business, and and somebody asked me like, oh, well, do you wanna go back to the family farm or the family ranch? I'm like, hell no, like that's the last thing. Well, why are you here in the College of Agriculture? Well, I'm here because that's the counselor I stumbled onto and that's what I ended up in. So. At the same time, being friends with people I'd played ball with against in high school who did want to go back to the family ranch and have done that really successfully. So my first year of college, I didn't know what I wanted. I was kind of a man without a country. I was there because that was part of my plan, but I didn't really have a purpose in and of itself. Mm. had a great time and I wouldn't change it. I had a girlfriend. My sisters were there. We lived together. Then I went on the Mormon mission. So then when I came home, I'm like, well, I like numbers. I like math. I kind of like... I always viewed like a white collar job as being the holy grail. So I'll go get a degree in something like accounting. I'll mm. be good with numbers. I'll work in an office. I'll keep my hands clean. Be able to wear a shirt and a tie or whatever. Whatever my vision of success, it wasn't blue collar. Because blue collar was getting kicked in, in the shin by a horse or getting bucked off on your head. It was yeah. throwing hay bales with hay going down your shirt in the summertime. And you could never get it out no matter how hard you tried. I just didn't want any part of that. But yet there was something about that as I just got older and older that that kind of work ethic thing always appealed to me. I'm like, I don't want to be the lazy guy in the room. I don't want to be the guy who's not willing to get his hands dirty. So I started to feel really conflicted. Came home after two years in South America. I re-enrolled in the local because my parents had moved from Wyoming down to Utah at the time. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend said, hey, two years is too long to wait for for you. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I got a better offer in the meantime. Mm. Some dude thought she was a pretty good deal and clearly she was and so my life really had kind of transferred over to more of the Salt Lake area where my parents had moved and I didn't have a strong pull to go back to the University of Wyoming my sisters had graduated my girlfriend was gone and so re-enrolled in the community college and just started working and was married within a year Mm. taking accounting classes taking some you know business law type classes kind of working towards that kind of a degree but I still didn't really have a clear picture because part of the challenge of coming out of that culture is nobody talked about what happens after you turn 21. There was zero talk growing up of what I was gonna do in my 20s or my 30s. It was all what's gonna happen up until graduation, 
the mission, and that was the only thing we discussed. And that might sound short-sighted. That's exactly the, the way I experienced it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I just don't recall a lot of that. So that brings me to my point where I end up, got married early, had a kid after a couple of years. I felt this tremendous obligation to you know get out and make money. And I just became the guy who would, I, I became a job hopper. Okay. I think one year I had seven or eight different W-2s. So in the States, that's our tax form. Yeah. So seven or eight different jobs. Um, I had so many different jobs, I probably couldn't even name them all. Was just, it because you were trying to figure out what works for yeah, you? Yeah, because I realized I, want, I was introduced to a friend who was actually, he was Persian. He was actually from Iran. Hmm. And he kind of grabbed me and said, hey, you're capable of more. But yet I still didn't know how or what or who. It was kind of this just... Okay, I want more out of life, so maybe I'll quit this job and go get this job. And then I'll quit this job and, and eventually I'll get a better job, better job, better job. It, it's the most, the mindset is just strange, but that's kind of the way I looked at it at the time. Mm. I would even try occasionally to start my own business on the side. But then after about six months, I would stop doing that and I'd start doing something else. And I'd stop doing that. And then I'd wonder why I could never get a referral. Well, if yeah, they did want to refer me, I wasn't even still around. I'd moved on to something else. Yeah. So... That involved, you know, some things like working in construction related services or working in excavation or working in construction itself. And I did not want to be in construction. It didn't appeal to me. Mm. But I started to realize if I can set tile on a backsplash, maybe that's a skill I could use later if I could own property and be able to work on it myself. If I can, you know, run a backhoe or run a skid steer or run a track hoe, then maybe I could dig. I could dig a foundation. I. I wanted to put a walk out of my basement. I bought my first house. I'm like, I'd really like to rent out the basement and have some extra income. Because the job I was working at at the time, I didn't want to stay in that industry. So mm. right, that fits the story, right? That's right. So I, I borrowed, my neighbors were using probably another neighbor's backhoe during the day. I borrowed it at night. I dug an exit out the basement of my house and so they could come in and sock out one of the windows and put a door. And then we finished out the basement, rented it out so I could quit my job because I didn't want to lose my house and put my family in that position, but I wanted to cover the mortgage. So that was really my first, and we're talking like age 35. I didn't even buy my own first home until I was in my early 30s. Yeah. Renting out that basement was a drug for me. It was the needle in the arm that I never really saw coming. And the, 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 when I got that first rent check on the first, and somebody just handed me hundreds of dollars at the time, I was hooked. And I wanted more of that. My wife at the time was like, why do we have to have people living in our own home, in our own basement? That doesn't really feel like it maintains the level of privacy I want. And I'm like, yeah, but look here. Here's a check. Didn't have to go to work for it. I didn't have to go in sick or go in hurt or go yeah. in tired. I just came. So we clearly had two different ways of looking at that. But my appeal to real estate was rent and rent checks. That was, that was the holy grail for me. So then... Um, Later, bouncing around more odd jobs, a few more things here and there. My marriage fell apart. I stepped away from the religion. I stepped away from my marriage. I had the classic midlife crisis. My life was a shit show, especially as my parents or her parents, they'll, they'll tell you. I also knew down deep inside there were some things I really wanted to pursue. Mm -hmm. And so I was working a job. I was actually in North Dakota in the oil fields running a semi tanker, I think for a while hauling sand, for a while hauling frack water. 
my girlfriend at the time, Kim, called and said, hey, do you want to come back to Boise and do real estate? She had been licensed before the crash. She was an agent. Yeah. Pretty darn good at it, it turns out. And she kind of she was a dental hygienist by trade, by formal, former schooling. But when she said, do you want to come back and do real estate? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Because to her, that was real estate sales and marketing and, and yeah. having more in, earning potential. But for me, the beauty of real estate was still rent checks. That's still the holy grail. So. And I knew it might take a little longer. So I came back, we joined forces. I got licensed to be an agent. We marketed the subject. This was right after coming out of the crash, 2010, 2011. The market was just starting to turn. The beautiful thing for us as a couple was we were able to buy a home right as the market went from dropping to, because it was one of the build, biggest builders in the state of Idaho. And he called everybody and said, there's gonna be a price increase tomorrow. Mm. And once we got that cue that there was going to be an increase in price instead of prices dropping like they had been for a couple of years, yeah. we're like, boom, there's our moment, let's buy. So we locked in our contract that night. We bought our own, which is just a home for our family. Yeah. As we were kind of starting to join forces and put our family together, that, that blended family, her kids and my kids and everything in between, we were able to catch that at the very, very, very dip. And only because we had a little bit of you know inside information. Yeah. But she wanted a home for the family and I wanted our next piece of real estate and we tend to kind of look at that different, but I think in the end we're, we're, we've been able to do both. So kind of coming back into real estate as that neighborhood sold out, I'm like, babe, I got bad news. I'm not really wired to be a real estate agent in the classic sell real estate, list real estate for sale, yeah. drive a buyer around to look at 30 properties and then go look at 30 more. At least that's, most buyers don't do that, but I just, I'm not wired for that. Mm. But the long haul rental, work with tenants, work with owners, work with people year over year, that really fit my personality. So that was the point as that neighborhood started to sell out and fill up when we had to go outside of that neighborhood and decide how we were gonna pursue real estate individually. We almost ran side by side businesses that could then refer each other, but she yeah. was very much a sales agent and I was very much just property management, mm. managing rentals. So then I kind of had to set a goal for myself not to just manage for everybody else. But what I wanted to do was actually own some of my own for a couple of reasons. I think it's important to walk the talk. Mm. I don't That's I don't know that it one, serves yeah. to go out and tell a bunch of people, yeah, hang on to your property here in Boise. You'll be glad somewhere down the road that you did. Or maybe you'll come back and want to live here for the quality of life. Or maybe add it to your portfolio. But how could I tell somebody to do that if I didn't own any rental property as well? Sure. So I just kind of set a goal for myself for every 10 that I managed, I wanted to own one. Mm -hmm. And so it would trigger for me, we'd get to the next 10, I'm like, oh, I also need to, to keep an eye on buying. Yeah. I'd love to say there was some strategy to my buying, it was just find an opportunity, find a little bit of a twist we could put on a property and how we could make it, make it profitable and then move on to the next one. And so over time we've been able to do that. And so yeah, now we manage, properties for other people but we also have our own and you know market's been pretty good over the last decade and that's so, really helped us so what are the numbers right now looking for you on terms of managing management side and in terms of ownership so numbers of rentals, uh, rentals. so we manage yeah, about 50 rentals mm. you know we're not the biggest in town by any means it's, yep. it's mainly my son james runs the office mm. and me that do that and then we've got um, we've got four of our own. Some of them have multiple properties on that location though. So five, six, seven, 
you'd think I'd know the numbers better, but it's kind of like just take care of this, take care of this, yep. take care. Probably six or seven rentals okay. if we count up those. Yep. So not Donald Trump by any means. I'm not, you know, not the biggest out there, but it's been really fun so far. For sure, definitely. And on the you mentioned that you are looking at the properties on giving them a twist, giving them uh, like looking for opportunity and kind of preparing them so you can make money off of them. What's your main uh, way of looking at, at the property? Is it what's your first first number? Is it cash flow? Is it uh, revenue? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's cash flow. So you'll hear the age old axiom real estate is about three things location 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 and okay. so what my wife and i kind of ran up against is she is about the traditional mindset and a lot of those rules really serve her well and she follows you know whether it's design mm -hmm. rules or purchase rules and i'll be honest if you're going to live in that house for your family you better make sure it's the right location yeah. if you're going to sell next week or next month you better make sure i don't necessarily know that if you're going to hold that for your families and your posterity maybe locations not i don't know people out there might disagree with me i just don't focus on that yeah. i want to know if that either cash flows or can cash flow if there's something i do with it yeah Remember I said earlier, I did not want to be in construction. I did not want to be in carpentry. I yeah. did. When I got married, I didn't own a screwdriver or a hammer. I'm like, oh, if I need one of those, I'll just go borrow the neighbors. Mm. You know, knock on their door. Hey, do you have a hammer I can borrow? Why would I go buy a hammer if I live in an apartment or a house that's fully built? It made no sense to me. But yet, as I started to jump into real estate, I could see possibilities and potentials. Yep. But I needed a skill saw. I needed some drywall. I needed a hammer. So... I had to start buying some tools and getting some skills and working with some people who knew some of those things. So I almost backed into the construction side because of what I could see the potential cash flow. I'm like, well, I got to learn this skill to get to here. And if I don't, I'll never get there, but it would be dumb of me not to. So I went from avoiding and disliking construction to my kids probably think I really love it and enjoy it. But what I really love is the, the check. Yeah, I just don't know how to get there without modifying things a little bit. Mm. Am I making any sense or am I kind of... No, you definitely are showing a clear picture. For me, it seems like, like that you have your own way of approaching the real estate and your own way of giving it a spin. Yeah. So it works in your own scenario. Yeah. And, and, and bring as long as it brings cash flow is a positive uh, investment, right? Yeah. As uh, I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad, obviously. Uh, as long as it brings, um, it is an asset when it brings a cash flow. If it's not, it's not an asset, it's yeah. a liability. Yeah, right? 100%. So it's funny you mentioned Robert Kiyosaki. He has a real estate guy now that is kind of his main guy and the dude's phenomenal. I think his name's Ken McElroy. Yeah. Prior to that, he had his real estate guy was a Kiwi. He was from New Zealand. Oh, yeah. And his name was Dolph DeRoos. And so when I say a property with a twist, that actually came from Dolph's terminology because he had gotten, I, it doesn't really matter. I think he'd gotten a doctorate in like engineering or something, mm. but then really realized at a very young age, he had an aptitude for real estate. So he did a lot of investing and then started doing some teaching. And he would talk about looking at a property 
and then just asking, how can I add value? Residential, you add value so that the comps will go up and in commercial, you add value so that the numbers drive the value. So not to get off in the weeds on that, I'm not really that good at that anyway, but I am good at looking at a property and being like, if this carport were a garage, or if this were two units instead of one, or if this, there's just a part of my brain and I think I'm just greedy. I, I, I don't know any other way to say it, but I'm like, I don't want $100 cash flow out of this. I yeah. want $1,000 cash flow. Yeah. For two reasons. Number one, I don't want to bring on a liability that puts my family on the edge. Yeah. I don't want so much debt that if things go sideways, the market drops 10%, I'm screwed. I, I just think that's too risky. Yeah. especially early on. So I was looking for big windows of cash flow because I wanted the safety net. I'm not going to lie. Some of it was defensive. Some of it was, I got to be able to make this payment no matter what. And then other parts of that started to stimulate the creativity. And mm. all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, 15 people or 100 people could walk in and look at this property and have 100 different ideas. And that's okay. That's great. That's, right. that's the beauty of real estate. You can put your own twist on it. It, it really is fun. One of ours, you know, you got that European experience. One of ours that we've done in Boise is a rent by the room model. I learned that in South America. Mm. Um, you've probably seen that in oh, yes. Europe where we lived with families. They rented out a room and we were just part of the family. And so we did that with the entire unit. It's mm. a bunch of stinky boys, a bunch of 20 somethings yeah. who don't know how to clean the, the stove very well. But they all need a place to, you know, as rents have gone up and real estate values have gone up, these guys need a place to land. Yep. They're not home anymore, but they're really not out on their own. And maybe they don't want to spend two grand a month on a three, two and have to mow the, mow the yard. So that rent by the room model fits a niche in the market, but it also really jacks up the cash flow. It's a little bit more to manage. It's a little bit more of a headache. Yeah. But early on, that was a defensive hedge for me because I didn't want to put my, you know, is this just my willy-nilly investment scheme that I'm going to be back, you know, back tomorrow at some menial job to to try to make up the income that we just lost or the the equity that we just lost? Or am I going to make sure I have enough to absorb a downturn? That's right. So a little bit of it was defensive, especially early on. And I don't. I, I, I wouldn't say it's defensive. It's more strategizing, I would yeah. say. I, I think emotionally, you're right. Emotionally for me, I didn't want to mess it up. Yeah. And that speaks all the way back to my childhood, right? And I'm glad you kind of gave that context. But yet it really increased the cash flow. So it moved us forward into our second and our mm. third one quicker. So you're right. It really did ignite the cash flow, even though it was more of a defensive, defensive emotional move. So I'm glad you said that. I think you bring up a good point. Uh, on that note, uh, looking on the business that is right now and what you're doing, what does success mean to you? Oh, geez. At this point in my life? Um, so our kids range from 16 to, to 30. And parenting is difficult. Parenting is hard. Getting them to 18 is a challenge. What I've learned recently in the last decade is it, that's when it just that's when the work starts. There's almost this kind of what you do, you know, you get them to school, you get them their vaccinations, you get them their school clothes. You get, there's a very routine to raising kids up until the age 18. Yeah. After 18, there's no guidebook. And by the way, now they have some autonomy and now they have opinions and decisions, but yet they still want to lean on us mm. 
as parents. Yeah. It is very much more of an art after 18 to still be an influence in their life. And so my business, I do involve whatever members of our family want to be a part of it. I, it's kind of my, it's just kind of my thing. You know, people will say, don't do business with family. And, and my thing is, if you're going to work with family, then learn how to work with family. Learn how to create some boundaries. Learn how to let personal time be personal time and business time be business time. Yeah. Learn to be respectful in your interactions so you can still love each other and have that be a plus to your business, not a minus. Yeah. If you're confrontational, family confrontation is really difficult. So success to me means being able to work. You know, Like I said, my wife, our businesses are very similar. We're very closely related working with the people I love on a daily basis and moving the needle and being able to see things like our personal net worth grow or putting roof over more people's heads or filling a market for 20 year olds who are single and struggling to get by. Like there's all of those different facets of where you can serve people yep. and yeah, make a profit. And I don't have a problem with that at all. Like I think the people who serve the most people should make the profit. I think those should yep, be hand that's in right. hand. That's right. So, uh, there's a saying that you need to start with yourself before you're gonna help other people yeah. because at the end of the day you're gonna burn out you're gonna run out of cash and then who you're gonna help right yeah you there's a difference between uh, having a uh, having a thousand dollars to help someone or having a million or hundreds of millions to yeah. help people right so yeah and how many people you help is pretty indicative of oh yes of what you've been about definitely uh, so uh coming back to the to the business and you said it beautifully that uh, you are about involving the family members and helping the community helping the new young generation who cannot afford having a full apartment for rent or full house for rent or even buying it yeah they they are forced to to rent but still go on their own and rent a room and that's kind of a part of independence this is amazing and on that note, where do you want to go from now? Where do I want to go business-wise or business with this wise. podcast? Business-wise. <laughs> um, where do I want to go business-wise? Um, because, of, because of our internal dynamics in our family, my wife is really taking a fresh look at her career mm -hmm. and very much deservedly so. I'm kind of long haul. I could, I could kind of keep doing what I'm doing and just, I, I always make the analogy, she's a thoroughbred and I'm a plow horse. And I mean that in the most loving way. She can go out and knock it dead, close some sales, bring in a ton of cash, take two months off, do it again tomorrow. She just has a unique ability to do that. And I look at that, I'm like, how in the world? Like. If I shut it down for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, how would I ever get it up and going again? But yet that kind of workhorse, like just day after day, just kind of trudging along seems to be more my strength. Um, I don't know. It just It's just in our wiring. And so while I'm kind of trudging along and, and building this, the original agreement when we got together, because she had that ability, our original agreement was, hey, you're going to have to carry some of the extra load. Like even before... I mentioned I was in North Dakota in a truck, yep. right? And she says, hey, do you want to come and do real estate? I'm like, hey, the only problem is I got to go to real estate school for a couple of weeks. I got to get a license. I got to do some things. What am I going to do? Come and lay on your couch and have you feed me for three, four weeks while I do that? 
I'm not, I'm a father of four kids who's trying to support a former wife and kids and family. And now I can't just come crash on your couch and feel good about that. Yeah. And she's like, no, we got to get this thing off the ground. We got to do something. She was very wise at the time. So she's like, hey, I'll kind of make the extra push. You get your shit together and get up and running. And so, and I shared some of that with her early on. It's like, hey, I'm a bit of a step by step by step. And eventually that'll really, that curve will really the, start to kick in. The ripple effect. But for a while, more of that load's going to be on you. And I don't know that I'm super comfortable with this. And I don't know that you have to necessarily take on someone else's baggage. Yeah. And her feeling was, hey, we're in this together and this is going to benefit us and our family. So let's do it. And so really in the beginning, she carried a lion's share of the load financially while we got one property under management and then two and then three and then four. And we had one rental that was on board and then we got another one. And so eventually those curves kind of cross, right? And one person alone, as amazing as they are, has a hard time competing oh, yes. with a group of people sure. or even more so to, to rich dad's assets. It's hard to keep up with assets. And so those assets that throw off cash eventually have this kind of, you know, curve effect where they really kick in. Mm -hmm. So where I would like to go is just kind of continue to build on that. But also I'm looking at the next generation. Are these guys ready? If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, can I hand the reins to my son or my other son or my daughter yeah. or, or maybe even our youngest daughter who might be the biggest firecracker of all? Mm. So you never really know who wants to step into that role. That's right. So to me, it's almost like this really curious Where's this going to go? And is this is this going to be something that's going to benefit them? Or am I going to give them a loaded gun, mm. you know, a little bit hyperbole, but am I going to give them a loaded gun that they are not trained to handle or not able to handle? And then they end up hurting themselves or other people with that. So where I want to go is that they have the ability to take this where they want, because I'm not going to be around forever. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. So it. It looks like you you have a, a way of looking at the business multi-generational and blessing um, and a curse. Yeah, true. they probably don't want me planning their future for them. But yeah, that, that's the tendency. And uh, at the end of the day, if you look on the real estate per se, this is the best asset there is yeah. one of the best classes of assets. and. Uh, for for having the rentals even the like we are not talking about hundreds of right. units uh, that that they will need to put a lot of work into it even if they drop the management part there's there's some of them that gonna need some yeah. work but it's not gonna be 24 7 365 right, right. because right. they are already up and running and and the process is going unless you want to build it up to to the scale that really would need the bigger well and i struggle with that a little bit too because there are other interests i have in life there are other things i'd like to pursue and frankly there are things that i've kind of set aside and just put my head down and work you know when you get divorced and you join forces with another person or another family you make a lot of sacrifices mm -hmm. and they make a lot of sacrifices if not more and so kind of setting aside some hobbies and some self-interest to just make i mean we have six kids between us yeah and so that's a big workload and then careers and all those things and some of them are still in school so for sure 
there are other things I ask myself I'd like to kind of bring back into the mix and pursue, but I tend to be a little nerdy about that. I tend to think I have to do either or mm -hmm. instead of just simply planning my day better so yeah. I can still get out on the golf course or to still get out on the bike or still get out and do some of those things that I used to love. I tend to kind of tell myself I have to do one or the other. It's not true. Mm -hmm. So I get to work more on my mindset and have a more healthy all around approach. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't think life is always in balance. I think sometimes we have to be out of balance to address a, a financial need. And then we have to be out of balance to address a family crisis need. True. Life is constantly out of balance, yep. but it's constant course correction. It's wiggling exactly. one between another, right? Yeah. On, on the business note and talking about what uh, you are planning, what does being a maverick mean to you? <laughs> I had an uncle who worked for the railroad and my mom said the song he wanted played at his funeral was the Frank Sinatra. I think it was Frank Sinatra. I'll probably get it wrong. I did it my way. And she said when she talked to him or was around him, that was her lasting memory of him was he was going to do it his way. Mm. That Someone who has that mindset, it's pretty hard to stop them. Yeah. Anybody who achieves any level of financial success or family, they are a maverick because if you just follow the crowd and the path of least resistance, you're probably not going to make any noise in the world and you're probably really not going to get out of status quo. So anything we do to try to excel and kind of rise above that you have to be a bit of a maverick. And I think you've got to really learn to trust your own gut. Like here Strong again, I'm going to tie gut, it yeah. back to the beginning yep. of our conversation. You know, you grew up in a really high demand religion. You're pretty much told what to do, think and say. The ability to trust your instincts sometimes doesn't come along with that. And so if there's one thing I'm inherently blessed with, and maybe it's being an assertive, being kind of mm. part of that third of society. Yeah. I tend to trust, you know, if I look at a property and I'm like, yeah, we can, we can make this thing cash flow. I tend to trust that. Mm. And then if it bears out and bears out and bears out, then, yeah, I'm going to trust that again on the fourth or fifth time. So to me, that maverick is what is it about you internally that the world needs, but maybe doesn't really have in spades? Maybe there are very few people doing what you know you could do. But you also know it's not going to be the most popular decision or That's it's right. the people around you aren't going to cheer you on in the beginning because oh, yeah. they're going to look at you like, where the hell did you get that idea? Or how do you think that's ever going to work? My dad had a really good saying. He's like, well, I wouldn't do it that way, but you might be able to make it work. So in a weird way, my dad actually gave me some room mm. to make some decisions. Some push even. He also gave me some room to fall on my face. And he wasn't afraid to be like, well, how'd that work out for you? Yeah. So. That was a big lesson for me. Whether I sink or swim, I, it's on me. My dad wasn't going to rescue me from my stupid choices, especially if I made the same mistake. No choice was done unless I repeated the mistake. And then, but he was willing to let me fail, and that really, really helped me. It is so crucial to have that uh, that support from the family where where they are kind of letting you do your own way but in the same time also keeping you accountable and kind of checking on on mm -hmm. you and saying yep how that that how this thing went for you like checking on uh, but 
in the same time the encouragement that you you got in those small little details always yeah. matters right that's 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 awesome to hear and uh, growing in the mormon community and then then uh, moving to boise being a smaller type of uh, community as well the it is a it's a it is a decent size of uh, of town but as you said you know a lot of people out there yeah. uh, are you would you say that you are a community person i'm a tribe person okay i community i don't know i boise state has a pretty good football team they've done pretty well over the past few years um I refuse to be a Boise State fan. I'm a Wyoming Cowboy to my core. Mm. Um, that'll never change. And I go to the game every year when Wyoming comes, and I, I'll sit there in a sea of blue, and I'll cheer for the Wyoming Cowboys. However, the people that I've met in Boise and our friends and the people I love and the people who have supported us and our business and just us as human beings, there's some pretty phenomenal friends and mm. family and relationships and people that love us. A hundred percent. And I don't always do the best job of showing that, but I am 100% a tribe kind of a person. Awesome. The other thing that really sunk in for me is starting to do a little bit more international travel. Mm. I've started to view it a little bit more of as, as a global community than I did growing up. You know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be from the state of Wyoming. I'm proud of this, 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 and this. Well, does it necessarily make me better? Mm. Maybe, maybe not. You know, even the term American, you know, here we are sitting in Canada right now yeah. it's part of North America but yeah. but oftentimes as Americans we're just going to monopolize the phrase we're American okay well what about everybody else so exactly how so, about the middle or Central, yeah, Central America, America South the America, other people America. in North America so yeah. being in Chile and, and having people slap and he's like, are we not Americans too that global reach and the global community that really we're kind of all in this together yeah. has been much more top of mind for me in the last 20 years than than the first 20 years of my life that's amazing it's awesome to hear that the that point of view changes as well and uh, mm -hmm. you yourself view it we are similar on that notion that uh, we are uh, viewing the the community and the tribe being bound less yeah i would say and i think the more we travel the more it feels right. that way 100 percent um so on the notes of, of the tribe that you said it, it is, is important for you, how would you make a person that is part of that tribe feel that they belong more? Uh, that's what I've been working on the most because I, if you ask my older kids, I think as a parent, I was pretty demanding. I was pretty rigid. I was really inflexible. Mm -hmm. I was really right, wrong driven. I had some really clear ideas of what I was and wasn't going to do as a parent. And I've actually had to go back and apologize to my older kids and be like, hey, you were, you were my crash test dummy. I am so sorry. I was so rigid and so inflexible. I probably caused, excuse me, I probably caused a lot of difficulty for you mm -hmm. being, you know, a lot of older kids can probably relate to that. For sure. But, you know, as, as far as the tribe and, and encouraging people, it's like, I want to be the kind of person people want to work with, even if they're related to me. I don't want somebody to work to me because we're work with me because we're biologically linked. Mm -hmm. I don't want somebody to work with me because they have no other choice. 
I would like people to work with me because it's fun. They like what we're about. It's benefiting them. They're, and I'm also big about learning things along the way. Again, I'm still raising kids in my eyes and that may or may not be fair to them. That might be a little dysfunctional. Some of them are close to 30. I also feel like it's a mentorship role now and mm -hmm. a relationship thing more than a father-daughter or father-son. Yep. Even our 16-year-old, I mean, she's as headstrong as they come. So I could say, well, she's still at home. She's still a teenager, but it's more of a mutual relationship now. She's she's pretty well-baked. I mean, she knows what she wants in life. She knows what she's about. She knows what she needs to do to get it. So now the role starts to shift a little bit. Yeah. So I don't know, does that? It definitely answers the question. And uh, it's, uh, it is important to to focus on the people that are, build, uh, are a pillars of your tribe, right? Yeah. Because without them, there is nothing else. Then the tribe of one is not the tribe, right? Yeah. Um, one other thing, sorry, do you mind if I interrupt? Go ahead. One other thing I wanted to add is the ability to step out of that. Like, yep. you know, is there a son or a daughter, or a wife who wants to go pursue a different career path or a different, you know, living arrangement or that's gotta be okay. There's yep. gotta be the freedom to step away. Dad, I'm just not enjoying this or, you know, hey, this isn't fun for me or there's other pursuits that I have. I don't necessarily want to live your dream. That that has to be okay so they can kind of come and go as well. That way the family business can be a resource, an asset, but it's not a prison sentence by any means. Okay. So on the on the note of uh, of the business and doing it together and um, who's your ideal client? Wow. Well, so we have kind of two sets of clients. We have owners who either live, leave town or live in town and, and don't want to manage their property. So yep. we work for them. Um, so I'll answer the question in regard to that. Honestly, my ideal client is someone who will toss me the keys, tell me what they need, and then go. Like, Because mm. if I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, or if I'm in Mexico City, or I'm wherever I may go to pursue my career, and I have an asset back in Boise, Idaho, that's pretty important to me. I want to know that that check's going to show up in my account every month and that asset's going to be well taken care of. And the less I have to deal with it, the better. Yeah. So my ideal client is someone who has other things to worry about and can offload that onto us. And then just simply they're doing their thing and we're doing our thing. Mm -hmm. Now, the other clients we have are the actual tenants. And so I look at the ones we own or even the ones we manage. When I was a tenant, I had an experience one time. I had ankle surgery and the property changed hands after about a week. I was on crutches, I was in a cast. The new owner walked in, he said, I'm the new owner. We're gonna move into this unit, me and my family. You need to be out in a week. And I'm sitting there on crutches, new wife, new baby, my foot's wrapped. And I'm like, how the hell are we gonna move in a week? And I didn't even think twice about what laws or regulations he might've been violating. Yeah. I just, well, we gotta move. And I think my poor wife at the time had to do the lion's share of the work. And we moved within a week. And I look back and I'm like, I don't think I want to treat people like that. Even if they're too young and dumb to know the law, I just don't want to treat people like that. I don't want to treat the tenant like they're kind of an afterthought. That's the person paying the bills. That's the person who's living and taking, taking care of your property. Mm -hmm. So 
it, it was a really good lesson for me in a really harsh negative way it seems like you by saying that you are bringing some of your ancestry to to the action the real meaning behind the 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 word landlord yeah someone yeah. who takes take care of the people who live on their land yeah. on his land right i never looked at it that way but that's that's a really good point because you can be a property owner and you can be an asshole who just kicked you out like the guy who did yeah. that or you can be a real landlord who obviously respects his land but at the same time gives shared this land with people who are inhabiting it right yeah. or, or or renting the house or whatever it might be in this situation right? yeah a hundred percent and you could probably find tenants who just would never want to work with me again had a horrible experience and have a lot of good reasons for it mm. and you could find tenants who felt like they were way 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 treated above and beyond what was required and just want to do more of that i want to learn from those experiences if a tenant has a bad experience i want to at least learn where my accountability was in that and do something different mm. so yeah a hundred percent on the note of your business as well or personal you can you can answer it as you like what's your biggest problem what's my biggest problem i'm gonna be honest i struggle to call anything a problem Mm-hmm. Um, challenge then. Yeah, challenge. Um, one of our biggest challenges, just to kind of hit it right between the eyes, is just family dynamics and family crises. We, my poor wife, two years ago she lost her forty-four-year-old sister a week before her her sister's birthday in April, mm. and then last April we we lost a son, her biological son, the University of Idaho. Um, he was a student up there a week before the end of the semester, spring semester. Ironically, a lot of people have heard of these University of Idaho murders that, that this guy is going to trial for here coming up in June. We're recording this in April. Um, that's really been on the news and really been top of mind for a lot of people. Well, six months before that, our son died very near that same location. It was an accident, but anyway, just a lot. it just has brought up a ton of emotion and and for my wife now we have four more moms four more dads going through this and at yeah. the hands of someone else no less and that's just got to be utterly horrifying and then just this past week another kid who had gone to the same high school as my son passed away he was part of the tennis team i think and, yeah. and passed away on the tennis court practicing after school and they found some heart irregularities after post-mortem and so now there's another mom and another dad and another family. That's just a lot. To see other families grow, go through what essentially is a parent's worst nightmare, I, you wouldn't wish it on anybody. None of us want to go through it. But to see other people go through it, and especially unnecessarily, is just brutally difficult. Yeah. And so these are some of the kind of dynamics that, that my poor wife's dealing with, that we're dealing with as a family and as an extended family and community and our friends and resources at the same time there's really no beginning and there's really no end and so you kind of start to ask yourself when the deck gets shuffled like that and all of a sudden maybe your next real estate purchase isn't the biggest priority maybe the next sale or listing isn't the biggest priority there's way bigger things going on how are you going to manage moving forward the emotion of that mm. 
what that has brought into your life and also what does that do to your purpose? Yeah. What does that do to your desire to get out of bed in the morning and go kill it for something that could be taken away in a heartbeat? And so watching what this does to people has been a blessing and a curse. It, I shouldn't say a curse. It's just been some of the best moments of seeing people show up and be compassionate and just go way above and beyond to remember, you know, the things about our son that were amazing and that, that we want the world to continue to carry on. And then also just a heartbroken mom, you know what I mean? That just can't some days, what do you do? What's yeah. it all for? Yeah. So it's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's an experience that just reframes everything. I think we've all worried, wondered and feared it, but when it hits you, it, there's no words. Yeah, it hits you hard and it yeah. stays there. Yeah. Yeah, for a long, long time. And, you know, and then things, last summer I lost an aunt. She was in her 90s. She had had a great life. She was an amazing woman, a big influence on my life. And as we were riding up, my wife went with me to go to the funeral. Um, we're riding up there, and I'm like, you know, she also lost a child in his late teens. And I'm thinking I just kind of want to share that and give her the context for what she's walking into. Not sure how she'll react or change it. And she goes, well, how old was she when she died? Well, she was in her 90s. What year did this son die? It was 1972. And her wife, her, my wife's response was she's had to go 50 years without her child. Hmm. And how daunting must that feel, right? Yeah. So often how we think somebody's going to look at something it doesn't really matter it's how they look at it or how something lands for them and so just being okay with that and being able to learn how to just navigate that i don't think she needs to hear from me any advice or any yeah. words of encouragement she just needs to know that somebody can recognize what she's going through so that's the biggest challenge you know like i said i wouldn't ever consider it a problem it is a giant challenge as a family to go through that and still have business matter and yeah regular life right yeah 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 it must be super tough and uh yeah just i think the biggest thing what i'm hearing is that you can give and anyone could give to person going through it is just being there for them Seeing it through their eyes, I would say. Mm. Sometimes we have a tendency when we want to be there, oh, I understand. Mm. Oh, I get it. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. That's, so, that's so different than being able to verbalize some of those emotions. Because some of those emotions, they're a little bit nasty. There's, and when I say nasty, I mean they're harsh. They're dark. They're horrifying. Yeah. Some of the emotions that a mother, a father, family member, sibling goes through... We don't want to talk about them. It's not pretty. Yeah. Does that mom wake up some mornings, uh, dare I say, wondering whether it's worth going on? Yeah. Does that sibling wake up some mornings saying, well, where does that leave me if they can be gone in a heartbeat? <clears throat> I don't know. But, but being able, and this goes back to some of the stuff where Chris Voss has really assisted me as being willing to go there with someone in their darkest moments might be the most empathetic thing we can do. True. And it's helped me keep my foot out of my mouth, but also my good intentions would have gone the other direction. Mm. 
it's helped me to more often meet her where she's at and try to demonstrate some empathy rather than give a pep talk that's not <laughs> not at all what she needs I, I don't know if that makes sense but it does it's it's almost anti it's counterintuitive but yet it's the very thing that person needs it is it is such a vast topic and it's such a complicated one that uh, there is no right or wrong answers there is no mm-hmm. uh, easy turnkey solution and it is it is super hard and super individual as well right yeah. that on each specific person that's going through it or the situation that it is yeah. about trying not to make it swing away completely and just dismiss the subject I wanted to ask you um, still going a little bit different direction but still uh, acknowledging that this is super important um what question would you like to be asked more often (laughs) well so we're assertives we want to be heard again you don't have to do it our way or don't have to change the plan just hear me out and i'll also hear you out um how are you feeling And the only reason I say that is in this dynamic where nothing rivals the grief of a mother who's lost a child. And and I'll come back because of where we're at in life right now, that mom can't imagine anybody going through what she's going through. And probably she's probably right. You know, I, I think there's a maternal instinct and losing a child for a mom is as devastating as life gets. Um, having a sibling, a, you know, kind of a full-blooded sibling who's also trying to get through high school and, and what she's going through. Having other siblings and other people in the neighborhood who were a part of this kid's life from day one and knew him before I knew him. I, I didn't really meet him until he was about eight years old. There were people that knew him in diapers, yeah. knew him longer than I did. So there's this dynamic of, so going back to being that oldest son, that responsible one who's kind of carrying the load, but yet being in a situation that's so emotionally charged, that so many people have such overwhelming emotions. I have sometimes gone back to that kind of oldest son. We got this, we'll carry the load, we'll get through. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? That honestly, and, and also business-wise, mm-hmm. keeping business going at the same time, probably the thing that I feel like for me personally has been lacking the most is how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And this is kind of something that I've, it's my job to address it, whether that's you know with family or close confidant or counselor or things like that. But that's kind of where I'm at right now is a little bit more self-care so that I can continue to be there. So that would benefit business that would benefit family that would benefit but first and foremost self-care so that i can continue to you know i mean stay the course 
So because it's so emotionally charged, it's really difficult to meet everyone's emotional needs at the same time when it's in crisis. Yeah. So that I might have pulled you back to that same topic, but there's a close parallel. With it is. It, it, those topics are super close to each other for sure. And um, trying to trying to connect them and and or stay apart is really hard be, mm -hmm. because there's uh, there's not much room be between those um, maybe uh, keeping on the tougher note still but what is your failure story <laughs> my failure story how much time you got um, <laughs> in summary <laughs> I so again I'm the older I get the more I reframe words and, and not change the definition just change the way I look at them when I said there was the year I had seven different jobs the next year I probably had three the next year I probably had two I viewed that probably at age 37 38 39 I'm like am I just a complete failure at everything I do mm. Am I a failure because I can't or won't? I mean, I refused to stay stuck, but yet from the outside looking back, it looked like this string of, you know, failed opportunities, failed businesses, didn't stay at this job. Maybe that job could have led me there. Or that job could have led me there. For a moment in my life, that looked like a failure. All of a sudden, when Kim came into my life and said, hey, let's do real estate, all of those 20 years of, this is going to sound a little trite and cliche, but those 20 years of messing up this and messing up that, again, I had been exposed a little bit to excavation. I had been exposed a little bit to construction. I had been exposed a little bit to design. I had been exposed a little bit to the financial side. All of a sudden, the things that I wanted to do in amongst those 15 or 20 different whatevers was a little piece of a lot of things that I needed to put together a property management company or a yeah. rental company or a cleaning company or a repair company. And, and I could literally see where I could run maybe a property management company and then some ancillary businesses off of that. And a lot of people do that as well. But I had a skill set and I had enough time to bang my head against the wall to get a little bit of experience to where that failure became one of my greatest assets. I just needed to add time yep. and also a little more focus, a lot more focus, can't quit every six months, add time and focus to what I had been through and all of a sudden everything changed. I'm always fascinated by the business statistics. Well, five out of 10 businesses fail or eight out of, eight out of 10. We can hear those statistics yep. and they always seem to get twisted in my head. But I think a lot of the reason why you go from the eight out of 10 or the six out of 10 that failed to the one out of 10 that makes it, is you just failed more often. Maybe you got yep. your eight failures in, yeah. and then you became the ninth, and That's that right. one worked. But what did you learn at every one of the, and again, I attribute that to my dad. Hmm. He was not afraid to say, what are you learning? And that will be for your benefit. He didn't get too hung up on the mistake. Don't do it twice. But he wasn't gonna get hung up if you made a mistake, because that meant you were doing something. Yeah. And that meant you were learning. So my failure became my guidebook for what I wanted to put together once I kind of got my niche so it's uh, it's amazing to see that uh, 
your father gave you similar guidance that uh, Laurel that we both know parents did as well yeah they were asking her every day coming her and her sibling coming back from school how did you fail today yeah and that's that's amazing way of showing that there is nothing wrong in failing yeah because you learn more her family did her a tremendous service when she shared that i was really inspired there's a disney movie i think it's called it might be disney or pixar i get them mm. confused but i think it's called meet the robinsons and the kids doing something and he fails and he's with this new family environment and he just thinks they're all going to criticize him and berate him and they all start cheering and celebrating and he's like what in the world is good these people are crazy <laughs> And then he's like, what are you doing? And they're like, you failed. You found out a way it doesn't work. You learned something. Hmm. And, and they just, I think it's the biggest challenge in our culture. But yet, even one of the books that I was listening to, even the the culture here in like in the States or kind of the more Western civilization yeah. cultures, it's more okay to fail than it is maybe in like some of the more rigid cultures. Hmm. I think some of the Japanese struggle with some of their innovations and some of their thinking outside the box because it's not socially acceptable. Mm. So I'm super grateful that I live in a part of the world where risk is okay. Failure, you're not blacklisted. Yeah, You and I felt like we were black sheep when we stepped outside the box because the box was so well-defined. Mm. In that part of our world, failure wasn't an option. We needed to stay in, the, it in that lane. Option. But yet, is it really that bad? I mean, failure is the, what we call failure, is the greatest learning mechanism it we is. have. It is. You know, you have an argument with your wife and she freaks out, throws a coffee, coffee cup at you and leaves the room. Well, you probably don't want to do that again. Whatever triggered that, yeah. you probably don't want to do that again. So was it a failure or did you just simply learn a better way to communicate with your wife? It's all in how you frame it, right? True. So maybe that's cliche, I don't know. It is not. It is not. And uh, yeah, it's all it is about is how you see it mm -hmm. at the end of the day, right? Because if you see failure as the worst thing that can happen to you, yeah, it's going to be the worst thing that happened to you. But if you see it as a stepping stone and, and, and learning curve, that's what's going to build your strength, your knowledge, your experience yeah. moving forward. right? And that's where, you know, I've referenced my dad a few times in this conversation. And as you're talking, I'm recognizing even he was kind of a dichotomy. You know, that religion vein, mm. it was my way or the highway. You did it right or you did it wrong. But in life and working on the ranch or working with animals and, and work, things, shit was going to happen. Mm. Um, I could give you five examples of when I pretty sure I should have died or most people in those circumstances would have not come back mm. but yet it was just to learn hey you might not want to do that again yeah. you dodged a bullet there or it just was never the end of the world to him if you made a mistake I often wish we could have kind of brought that religion piece over to that I probably would have learned quicker yeah. but at the same time that was important to him and he was doing the best he could with that Ding, was he ever good at letting us learn from our own mistakes and not getting in the way in those other areas? That's amazing. You know, like I said, some of those some of those accidents, I stood a irrigation line up into a power line, you know, an aluminum sprinkler pipe up into a power line and electrocution's probably not the way I want to go out. That oh, yeah. that was a pretty pretty jarring experience. 
so just on their anniversary i was 11 years old and it happened on their anniversary and small town right well go lay down we're gonna go down to the diner for dinner we'll be back and i think they came back early they were probably worried about me and then starting to go into shock and they had to take me for overnight observation in the hospital but you know lots of those kind of real near miss close calls growing up but that's you know that's the thing about losing a child is we've all done dumb things we've all walked that edge walked that line and to see it take somebody out is just it's just horrifying devastating as well yeah trying to twist it or turn it a little bit navigate it towards the more positive note Mm -hmm. as we are uh, going towards uh, towards summing up the the conversation they were would you like to go in discovery of the word where would i like to go if you would uh, pick and choose places countries that you would like to discover you mentioned england yeah so that's one of them the more i travel the more i want to travel um I was 19 years old. I had, I always joked with people. I'd never been east of Denver, Colorado. I'd been to the West Coast, California, in the U.S. All of a sudden, I I get this call to go down to the Straits of Magellan on the southern tip of South America. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I didn't really know history or geography really well in school. I knew of some things, but I didn't know why. Yeah. So a lot of these ships would wreck going down and around. And I didn't know why until I get down there. And in the the wind is 60 miles an hour all day long. Or it's cold and it's brutal and it's, the ocean is choppy. And like, oh, this makes a lot more sense now that I'm standing here leaning into the wind. And if the wind shifts, I fall on my face. Yeah. That was my first jump out of the box in getting out of my bubble. And the latin people the the south american the chilean people i just love them they would give you the shirt off their back and i'm like this is really cool i want other people in my life to experience this but because i spoke spanish that became comfortable for me so then was it a stretch later in life i was able to go to ecuador well that was easy because i spoke the language i knew the culture and so it's like okay this is fun and i enjoy traveling to latin american countries but at the same time, do I have do I have the balls to go do it somewhere else or to go travel somewhere else yeah. and maybe not know the language and not be able to be the one who's translating for family or friends or wife? So then we decided to go to Europe and go to Italy. Oh my goodness, I was blown away. Because also keep in mind a lot of the culture and tradition of South America that I love so much. I wanted other family members or my wife to experience. Well, when we went to Europe, I'm like, oh, a lot of this has to do with family you know, values. Family yeah. values. The Catholic Church is strong there, yeah. and a lot of these culture things were derivative of European things. That's right. So going to Europe was almost better. It was almost circumventing the process. I'm like, oh yeah, we're walking down the street in Rome one night. We just had a little bit of free time. Actually, I think we couldn't find the bus stop. If I'm mm-hmm. being honest, but some I don't know exactly what the ceremony was, but like the priest was being promoted. And there's kind of this impromptu parade. They come out of the, the church bells ring. They come out. They're they're either carrying him or escorting him. And then they kind of have this parade that just naturally winds through the streets. And 
yeah. it wasn't announced it wasn't well they didn't tell me anyway yeah maybe some people knew about it but this impromptu parade and i'm like this is the kind of stuff right here that i don't see in this you know where i grew up i didn't see where i came from and i would have wanted her to experience something like that so we're experiencing it over here so for me how short-sighted was i to link something with a country that was really a worldwide phenomena that's right so for someone who didn't understand world history or didn't understand geography suddenly by traveling the dots started to naturally connect okay. themselves okay. so that to answer your question yeah i'd still like to go to australia kind of that kind of little agreement i have with my dad or maybe yeah. go down with one of his buddies before they die they're getting up there in their 70s mm. there's there's places you know that would stretch me i think some of the orient some of the asian countries mm. I, i'm a little leery of i think it's more language like ooh, that's got to be a hard language to learn i'm sure i could get by or have a translator or have someone help me the more i travel the more i want to travel i think is the best way i could answer your question the longer that list grows yeah you know it's my first time to canada i was in the airport here in toronto a few years ago but this is my first time actually getting outside and doing something so this has been on my list for a while too as a summary of today's podcast meryl what have been the greatest day of your life the greatest day of my life oh wow so I don't really know how to answer that. Um, and I kind of sometimes ask people that same question. Hey, what's the best this? Like after the trip, I'll ask the kids, what was the best part? And they'll kind of go deer in the headlights. I'm going to reframe your question and you tell me if I'm off base. Maybe the top two or three to take some of the pressure off so that... That works. Yeah, because I think there's this tendency, what if I leave something out? Okay, so let's start a little bit different. Okay. What is the first one that comes to mind? I think the first one that comes to my mind is the birth of our first child. Because mm. I think that's when the mindset shifts. You go from being life being about you to life being about someone else. Um, so that that's one of the most memorable, like life changing moments. Mm -hmm. um, in, a, in addition to that, I remember when my younger brother was born, I I have two older sisters so until i was eight years old it was just me and a couple of girls and i was over it i i mean i love my sisters but i was over it i wanted a brother now some people stop when they have one or two kids or maybe yeah. three but the mormon family you know you're gonna keep having kids i guess so <laughs> i wanted a brother and my mom wasn't there when we woke up that morning uh, my dad was gone my grandma was in charge they hadn't told us if they found out what the sex was and my mom called from the hospital. Hey, congrats. She got me on the phone. Hey, congratulations. You got a brother. So I'm eight years old riding my grandma's three wheeled bike with a basket on the back down Main Street in small town Wyoming, telling all the old ladies they were older than me. They were probably 40 at the time. But <laughs> I have a brother. I have a brother. I have a brother. Yeah. You know, just telling anybody and everybody. Mm -hmm. But also when we went to pick him up, I got to go just me, not not the stinky girls, not my sister. <laughs> I remember looking over, it was in the 70s, my mom's holding him in the front seat because that's the safest way to travel. I remember looking over the back seat and looking at him and being like, if I'm his big brother, he's going to be watching everything I do. And he's going to want to do that too. So I can't really just be a total knucklehead. Like I need to kind of keep that in mind. And it's always been weird to me to look back and why at eight years old, 
did I even have that thought or why mm. did that even matter to an eight year old? Like what kind of an example? Some of that was probably the religious, you yeah. know, kind of upbringing. Some of that's just my birth order in the family and some of that's the way I'm wired. So there was a little bit of a natural transition into parenting because having younger siblings and having that kind of sense of duty was already there. But when it's just you and your wife and it's just what are you going to do with that person, that human being that God's kind of dropped in your lap? It's a pretty big moment. I think a lot of parents would would probably probably agree with that. Um, I think some of the business goals and, and some of my personal, you know, back to the rich dad, poor dad thing and, and getting your income up. Mm that's that your assets are throwing off to where it matches or exceeds your expenses yeah that's a big day too because you know if i'm being honest that was probably a 30-year journey that was probably a long time coming and a lot of mistakes along the way and a lot of questions if i would or could ever get there and so tracking financials and seeing when that intersection of those two numbers happen is is kind of a big deal so, so I think those kind of big watershed moments, they kind of come and go and it's like, oh, that's it, you know, and there's got to be more than that. But yet it's also really speaks to a lot of years in the making. Most things don't happen in a vacuum when they happen. It's yes. because you've been doing blood, sweat and tears for so damn long and made a lot of mistakes along the way. If there's one thing I'm a big advocate of, you know, make your mistakes. Don't, don't burn the house down, mm. but make your mistakes because it's the only way you're going to learn. So I don't know, birth of my child, you know, kind of getting those kind of business goals where I felt like, you know what, if I got hurt tomorrow, my family wouldn't be devastated. It would not be fun, but mm. we could still pay the bills. And then kind of building off of that, those have been some big. And, and frankly, you know, my wife is a huge person in my life. You know, being able to marry her and join family and forces and kind of be a part of her life was also one of the biggest, most exciting moments of my life. So, Meryl, you are a giant of a person and uh, I enjoy every little bit of this conversation and every conversation that we had so far and I'm looking forward to hundreds coming. Yeah, I get to ask you some questions now. I bit my tongue because my tendency is to... during the show or after the show. Well, whenever you want, I, I, I don't know what. Yeah, I, my tendency, I have a natural curiosity about people, and so my tendency is to do that same. I just like to know about people. Yeah. So yeah, during the show or after the show, you'll, you'll have a few questions to answer yourself. Um. Let's do it after then. Okay, give me one guilty pleasure during. Guilty pleasure. One, indulge me one question. 100%. While we're doing this. Go ahead. You've decided to do a podcast and put a lot of effort into a podcast in addition to your normal day-to-day -day business activities and That's your right. other goals. What's the driving force for you in doing this and all the effort you've put into it up until now? And it's a wrap. We dare you. If you are bold enough, hit subscribe, repost the rebellion, and don't miss out on next week's episode. It's going to be bloody brilliant. See you on the next one.